Mac Geek Gab, episode 909 for Monday, January 10th, 2022. Geek Gab, the show where you send in your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found. We answer your questions. We share your tips. We share your cool stuff found. We mash it all together and try to string it together carefully into an agenda that we mostly follow in order to achieve our weekly mission of learning at least five new things each and every time we get together. We don't all have to learn the same five new things. That's the beauty of it. We just each are aiming to learn five new things. Sponsors for this episode include headspace.com slash MGG, where you can get one month for free and trade where you can go to drinktrade.com slash MGG and get 20 bucks off your first three bags of coffee from them. We'll talk more in depth about each of those shortly here for now here in Durham, New Hampshire, where at the moment while we're recording, it's a winter wonderland. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in snowy Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. Uh, how's the snow treating you today, John F. Braun? Uh, I woke up and before the show, I shoveled the walk, which you're nice. supposed to do, and dug my car out. All right. Well, there you go. I did neither of those things. A, we don't have a walk. Um, there's no sidewalks in our neighborhood. And B, um, our cars are in the garage. So we uh, we'll just wait for the plow to come and and then we'll clean up the mess afterwards. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good stuff. Hey, uh, new year, new us. We uh, you know that we're working. If you listened last week, you know uh, that we're extracting Mac Keycap from the Mac Observer and putting the uh, show on its own domain. That's that's in process. It'll probably be another let's safely say six weeks. Hopefully it's less than that, but uh, it's a lot to get right. So mm, that'll be at MacGeekUp.com. We will be doing lots of different things now that once we have our own website. But what I can tell you is merch is coming. And and when I say that, I actually mean it very specifically. Merch is coming to my house. I've ordered a test T-shirt, as has Sadie. And once they arrive and we confirm that they are up to our quality standards, then we will share with you all. How you can order merch and there'll be a special little something in there for a long time premium subscribers and yeah it'll be uh it'll be good i'm excited i'm really excited in fact so we'll hopefully within the next week we'll have more to share i in my they tell me my shirt has shipped but i don't have an eta yet but hopefully well before we record the next episode i will have that and then we can start to share this stuff with you so <laughs> exciting Good times. And then then we're going to revamp, not revamp, enhance, I should say, the premium program because I've got some ideas, most of which came from you folks over the years, uh, to to add some things to it. I don't want to promise anything that we haven't figured out the technical way of making happen, so I'm not going to promise anything. But there are things coming. Exciting. Fun. Fun, fun. Fun till... uh, Daddy takes the website away. I don't know mm-hmm. what, the, what the word is. I don't know. You have anything to uh, to share before we get into some of these quick tips and 
and such, mm. my friend? No. All right. We are we are still not at CES or weren't at at CES last week, given that the show's coming out on the tenth. But we did. Uh, I, we've been able to there's there's been lots of stuff to cover and we have things to share today so we'll we'll share some of that uh, later in the episode too uh warren in the chat room at live.macgeekab.com is asking john if you will model the t-shirt for them and uh i think i think we can arrange for that warren yeah right you're gonna be okay. an official spokesmodel for uh macgeekab <laughs> garb i think so um, you've always got good shirts. If people are watching the video today, you've got this, like, it's got like animals all over it or something. I got it at, um, Disney. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I know someone that are, well, she's actually retired. Yeah. And, uh, another friend, um, haven't seen them in a while. Um, but they have a store called property control, which is where they sell all sorts of, stuff that used to be in the hotel rooms you can get plates you can get glasses you can get a toaster an alarm clock mm-hmm. but i also have shirts and uh i can tell that this was uh probably for people that work in animal kingdom because there's a little strip right here where i think you put your name tag in just a, a just on the strip of fabric here on the upper upper left mm-hmm. chest yeah yeah interesting yeah, well, you'll have to watch the video, folks. That that uh, well, it's at macgeekab.com. We put it in the episodes uh, right there, and it's also on YouTube and Facebook and everywhere else. But uh, but you'll have to watch it to see John's crazy shirt. So, <laughs> yep, me. I'm just wearing a Reed sweatshirt today because my son goes there, and it was cold this morning, and I put it on, and it's cozy. So there you go. All right. So there's no way people can buy this shirt that you have, John. Yours is is fairly limited run. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the Mac Geek Cab shirts will be, well, they'll also be a limited run, but they'll be enough for you. So there you go. Donna tells us about her Apple card. Oh, I had it all up and now it went away. There it is. She says uh, she was in the Apple Store app and saw that the Apple card is now through January 31st, giving you 5% cash back when you pay in full at the Apple store with your Apple card. And, uh, and then you get 3% cash back. If you pay, you know, in the payment plan, like the Apple card monthly installments or whatever during checkout. But if you, uh, if you pay in full with your Apple card, you get 5% right now through, uh, through the end of this month. So that's a pretty good little tip. Thanks, Donna. Good stuff. I know a lot of us have those. I always forget yeah. that I have mine to be perfectly honest. I, I don't know why, but I always forget. And, um, and I have a note here, so I I have a note that I store in notes that lists the benefits of each of my cards because I collect credit cards like a madman. Interesting. <laughs> but I have a note here. Um, I don't know if it's still in effect. You know, go to the uh, Apple Card site. But um, I have a note here that you can also get 3% on Panera Bread, Nike, Uber, Walgreens, T-Mobile, and ExxonMobil. Well, update that for us and then tell us about it next week. To get all the things so that we have the, uh, you know, the, the up-to-date list, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. That's great. Cool. That's awesome. I, yeah. I didn't even think to track that sort of, that sort of stuff. That's good. Yeah. All right. So that'll be uh, maybe once a month or once a quarter, however often they update it. You can, you can be our John on the spot. I don't call you Johnny, so I don't want, didn't want to use that. I've never called you Johnny. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Cool. Very Cool. Uh, thanks. And thanks for that, Donna. Very good. 
uh, in last week's show, we were talking about AirPods and some connection issues, and I conflate. So I think one of our whichever listener it was, and my uh, my apologies, I forget, but uh, had said that it was the H1 chip in their AirPods, and I said I think it's actually W1, but it doesn't matter. Well, Allison uh, pointed us to an iMore article that indicates that, in fact, it is both or it depends on which version of AirPods you have. The initial AirPods had the W1 chip and then the newer AirPods have the H1 chip. And there are some very specific differences uh, in them. They have uh, the H1 chip has Bluetooth 5, whereas the previous one had 4.2, it's got which gives it a little more talk time. It, it but it it gives you the H1 gives us the ability to do uh, voice activated Siri as opposed to just double tap Siri, so it can be listening if we want it to be all the time, and uh, and a few other things. But it's really it, it's a it's a more powerful chip, and therefore you can use less battery and that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, there you go. Let's uh, thank you for that, Allison. And the link to that is in our show notes, of course, at MacGeekGab.com, which if you go to MacGeekGab.com, you can uh, get those show notes delivered to your email box every week automatically. So you don't have to think to remember to go look. So go check those out. MacGeekGab.com. Go sign up. We promise that we don't spam you. We never have. We've been doing this for years. We've never spammed anyone. At least not with what we would consider spam. And I don't think we've ever been reported as spam. So that's actually, that's a huge feather in our cap because every mailing list gets reported as spam. But I think we have an actual zero there, which is amazing. Uh, any thoughts on that before we move on, John? Nope. Okay. Uh, Tony, AKA PC Unix says uh, he found something very cool. He says, that he found a workaround the three address limit for iCloud custom domains. And the workaround is that what we've commonly come to call plus addressing works with your iCloud custom domain email addresses. So for example, if you have, uh, you know, if I, if I had Dave at my special domain.com and I assigned that as, as one of my three addresses, in my custom domain at iCloud, right? So I could do Dave, I could do me at, and I could do whatever, um, Dave the nerd at, let's see, whatever. And that would be it. Like I can't add any more after that, but let's say I want to do something where my mail gets filtered in a different way. Good news. I can use plus addressing, which means I can do Dave plus receipts at my custom domain.com. And that, email address will work and it will go to the same place that the Dave at goes to, but it will have a different two line or a different delivered to header. If you want to look deeper into your headers, because delivered dash two is one that Apple mail can filter by. And, uh, and you can, um, and then you, then you get, you know, the world is your oyster at that point. So this is something this plus addressing where it's essentially, you know, uh, email plus, something at domain.com or domain dot whatever. It doesn't have to be dot com. But that whole idea of, you know, Dave plus special characters or word here at custom domain dot com is something that 
I know of is starting at Gmail. Now, maybe it started somewhere else, but that Gmail is the first place I heard about doing it. And we've been using it that way for years. And turns out whoever was in charge of implementing this at Apple also added it there. What I don't know, as I'm saying this out loud, is whether this works with our standard iCloud addresses. So your iCloud.com or me.com or Mac.com address, depending on how long you've had the account. Does it work there? And I'll have to test that. Or maybe one of the people listening live will test it at live.macgeekhub.com and will tell us before the episode ends. Have you used any uh, custom uh, or any of this plus addressing or, or custom domains or anything mm, like that, John? No. Okay. I'll have to give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, now, moving away from. Yeah, I hardly have anything that uses my uh, opt online email anymore. I switched, switched that all over to uh, Mac.com. Okay. All right. So you're you're banking on always having a an iCloud email address. Yes. Okay. All right. I, I mean, I, I I that's a I got others. Uh, I got a Yahoo one. Sure. And uh, I'll store stuff there sometimes or redirect it there. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I I mean that that's not a terrible bet, right? You know, using Gmail or Mac.com or like you said, even Yahoo. You know, you're, you're banking on these big companies maintaining a mail presence that suits you for mm-hmm. a long time to come. Uh, but, it, you know, there is safety in numbers there. Um, still, uh, I kind of like the idea of just having my own domain that, mm-hmm. that I can take with me wherever I want or forward wherever I want, you know. So. All right. And uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, one more from the same Tony, a.k.a. PC Unix who found something very interesting. He says, uh, while using my phone to find my keys, which have an air tag on them this morning, I got a more light required mm. message. He says, I couldn't imagine why find my needed more light. So I Googled it and it turns out that the iPhone uses uh, the camera in addition to its various other sensors to find things in real space is essentially, you know, where it where it goes. It's it's not all that surprising, right? Apple and other vendors, too, but certainly Apple has a long history of leveraging multiple sensors or radios simultaneously and tying them together for to make like what we'll call the advanced to software magic uh, to make all that happen. And it seems like they're at it again here where they're using every sensor they have, you know, the, uh, the Bluetooth. And if your phone has it, LIDAR and also the, you know, the um, just the camera in general. So it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I think it's actually when you engage the, uh, I think it's ultra wide band is what it's using. Um, well, ultra wideband is isn't you talking ultra ultra fine like whatever that is the the, yes. the more oh. granular mm-hmm. yeah yeah. But um, I think it's in AR mode and it, and it actually shows, you know, like a blurred, fuzzy version of what the camera sees, and I think that's why it comes up with that message when you're trying to locate something. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. 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 I like it. I think it's that's great. It's great. Uh, and Tony PC Unix is in the chat room and points out that this plus addressing is not something new from Google. It goes back to 2008 
when it was added as an RFC to the um, the Internet working group or whatever it is that, that manages all of those things. So we'll put a link to that RFC because, you know, that stuff's geeky and interesting. But but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Google, although could it have come from Google? I mean, like Gmail has definitely been in existence since prior to 2008. So it is possible that Google started this and then it became a standard. Well, they probably, yeah. So RFC is request for comment. And then there's a number and typically multiple vendors will, you know, be on the working group, I guess. Makes sense. That makes sense. So Google may have submitted it like, you know, here's a proposal and then, you know, everybody votes on it. if It's a good idea. Yeah, right, right. I think it's a good idea. I'm glad to see it. Uh, I'm glad to see it being used elsewhere. I I don't think I'd ever heard of it. No, I guess Fastmail does it now that I'm thinking about it. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it would be interesting to know like, where it started. But um, but I'm glad it's there. So mm-hmm. the author's address is uh, at Carnegie Mellon University. So mm. not not surprising. You know, um, very, very little known fact, because most people don't bother to research it. Not that it's difficult, but um, Carnegie Mellon was also the birthplace of multi-touch, believe it or not, John. And mm. I know this because I know the person who birthed it. In fact, he has been in this very room with me, not during the show. Um, it's Dean Rubine. I know him as a keyboard player, but he was a grad student at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, and wanted to come up with a way of triggering things really for music. But he was a grad student in computer science and, and math, I think, although it might have just been CS. I don't know exactly. But uh, but yeah, Dean Dean had this idea of being a keyboard player that, you know, you could use multiple fingers to do simultaneous things to interact with the computer. And there's a video of Dean. I'll try and find it and put it in the show notes because it's just fun. Uh, the video of Dean sh- displaying this. Now, neither Dean nor Carnegie Mellon patented this technology, and we found out about it. I didn't realize that Dean was my neighbor at the time, or not neighbor, but, you know, lived close enough by that we'd wind up jamming together and playing some music. We actually played a bunch of gigs together. But um, we were researching it at the Mac Observer when Samsung pulled Dean's work as prior art when Apple was suing Samsung to, saying that Samsung copied the multi-touch on their interface and Samsung was like, well, it wasn't yours to begin with. And, uh, and Dean actually got roped into all of that. I think he probably had to retain an attorney to, to deal with some of it, even though he never made any money from it. But, um, but yeah, interesting. Uh, I don't know. Interesting little anecdote. So let me put this here. Dean Rubine showing off multi-touch and I will find that YouTube video to put in the, the show notes link. It's a fascinating, fascinating little, uh, little thing. So I don't know, little piece of Apple history. Uh, one more little tip, John, shall we? Okay. Why, why not? Right. More, more on that or should we, uh, okay. No, no. Okay. Uh, Joe has, an interesting little, this isn't really a quick tip, although I guess maybe it is. I don't know where we are today. He uses that IQ Unix F90 keyboard that I talked about. Uh, the the mechanical one that actually Lisa has at her desk and, and loves. It's a, it's a Bluetooth keyboard or a USB keyboard. It will do both. Uh, he says, uh, my M1 MacBook Pro does not recognize the keyboard when I boot up either via restart or after a shutdown. 
After Googling the issue, it is apparently related to File Vault. And other than turning off File Vault, the only solution is to log in using the built-in keyboard on the MacBook Pro uh, or connecting the keyboard via a USB cable, neither of which, of course, is optimal, especially if I want to use the MacBook Pro in clamshell mode. And indeed, uh, this is a known issue. It doesn't happen with all Bluetooth keyboards. Specifically, it doesn't seem to happen with Apple's. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, it does happen with this particular one. And the answer is turning off file vault. Um, now we've, there've been some other conversations that we've had on the show and also just direct via email. When you folks email us at feedback at dot not everything makes it to the show, but we do try and engage on all of it because it's a great learning experience for all of us. And we like to help too. really, I mean, this show's about you, right? So anything we can do to help you folks helps the whole thing move forward. So, uh, there have been some other discussions about file vault and its issues, uh, its limitations on Macs, and specifically on you know M1 Macs, certainly and and T2 based Macs. And I've always been one to enable file vault on my portables, John. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I've never really gone out of my way to enable it on my laptops. I mean, on my desktops, rather, but on my laptops, yes, uh, because, you know, there there's far more of a chance of it. You know, it leaves the house with me, so there's more of a chance of it winding up in somebody else's hands. But I'm wondering if that's worth rethinking, John. Hear me out on this, right? Because mm-hmm. File Vault encrypts the drive and I want my drive encrypted in case it falls into, you know, enemy hands. Not that I have many enemies that I know of. But you get what I'm saying. However, with a Mac with a T2 chip or certainly Macs with M1 uh, Apple Silicon, they automatically encrypt the drive, whether you enable File Vault or not. File Vault just changes who's in charge of the keys to that drive. And really, based on the way most of us would set up our File Vault Macs, certainly the way I have set up my File Vault Macs, I have it so that when I log in, with my regular user account, it decrypts the drive. Like my file vault key is baked into my keychain, so I'm not having to type my login credentials and then, or actually first it would be file vault credentials and then login credentials. I, I do it as one and, and it unlocks it all, which is exactly how that decryption process works with the T2 chip or the or Apple Silicon, which effectively has a T2 style thing built into it. And so... Why do I need File Vault again? And why do I want to deal with its limitations and idiosyncrasies is the question that keeps coming to mind for me. What do you think? Mm. I just roll with it. <laughs> when you roll with it, what does that mean, though? Like, are you, or do you have no, File I, Vault I, on? I enable it even though I know I shouldn't. But I guess the benefit of that is that you, yeah, you get to uh, specify the key, right? For the right. Paper. Well, or you get the key given to you. I don't know that you get to specify. Maybe you do. It's been a while since I've turned on file vault, but yeah, the key becomes yours. But again, then where do you store that key? Like, are you telling your computer to store that key? (laughs) Uh, Right. I mean, are you right? So, and, and do you enter a file vault password when you turn on your Mac or do you just log in and let your Mac store that password? Yeah. So I don't know that it's all that different, right? Like I'm, I'm, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it with my more recent Macs. 
And, and now, you know, with, with all these conversations we've been having, it's like, I don't, do we really need file vault? I don't know. Let us know what you think. I said feedback at MacGeekup.com earlier. I think I heard you right. You said feedback at MacGeekup.com. That's, that's where it's going to be. Yeah. Feedback at MacGeekup.com. Just one more time for good measure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let now, us know. Speaking of security, you may want to check your, um, uh, you may want to check your Synologies, Dave. Okay. Because I think I found a bug. Oh. Um, so I got a, a notification. It's like uh, your encryptomy certificate is going to expire. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. So, you know, went to the interface, clicked on the certificate. It's like, do you want to renew it? And I'm like, yep. And it sits there for a while. And then it's like, um, I can't resolve your name hmm i use synology's ddns and it's like well it doesn't resolve to an ip address so i can't give you a certificate and it's like sure it does and you know i went to the command line and typed in my you know um name.synology.me and it resolved so i don't know interesting I okay. I will check mine, and this is a good PSA for everybody to check yours, uh, just to make sure. And and you go in if it's a if it's a disk station, you go in to uh, DSM Synology Disk Station Manager, and I'm trying to pull this up as we do it, but I have another way of getting it. If I can't see it here, uh, you go into Control Panel. I believe it's Security. Yes. Yes. And then Certificate. Um, and that will tell you when it's going to expire. So mine, I use a custom domain for mine as well as Synology. So I have Synology certificate mm-hmm. and um, and one for myself. And they both are expiring in the future, which is a good thing. But I wind up, I have a, I check this every quarter. And the reason I check this every quarter is because Synology or uh, Let's Encrypt certificates it's not encrypt me, right? It's let's encrypt oh, or are they the same, encrypt. right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's encrypt certificates expire every 90 days. And I have two Synology devices that I use on my router or on my network. One is my disk station and the other, as I said, is my router. And so they both need to share a certificate and I don't bother having them both renew one because I don't want the certs to get confused. Maybe I shouldn't care about this, but I do. And so I export, I, I think it's my router that updates my certificate every three months. And then I export, I have a calendar thing to remind me to go in and export it to, uh, to then import onto my disk station. So theoretically that would also let me catch any problems like this, but um, mine has not tried to renew. So I don't know that I have a problem, John, but you know what? I can try it now. I'll try and renew my Synology.me certificate. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but yeah, that's interesting. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll let that roll. Hey, while that's doing its thing, John, I would love to next talk about our two sponsors. If that works for you, my friend. Okay. All right. You folks know me. I'm not a regular coffee drinker, right? I, because I I've never really enjoyed the taste of it. And caffeine isn't something that I, try to do on a daily basis. And I thought that that was just because I didn't like the taste of coffee in general. Well, that's because most coffee is dull, stale and questionably sourced. And it's easy to get stuck in a rut of drinking that stuff. Well, 
our sponsor, Trade Coffee, taught me that it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> Instead of standing all in front of all those options in the grocery store, Trade Coffee can help you find something new to love. And they have taught me that there are coffees that are wonderful and that I love them because Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. And they ship free to you as often as you'd like, whole or ground. So whether you're a coffee nerd or you just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and then use their technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. They have this quiz that you take to get started. And I took it with Lisa. My wife drinks coffee every day. And, you know, I said we had just gotten that new. We replaced our super automatic machine with a new super automatic machine right about the time that trade first came on board. And I love the taste of the stuff that they're sending me. But then we ran out for a short period of time and I had to drink the other stuff. I didn't. It was like, oh, yeah, I'm not I'm not interested in that. That's not a drink that I'm interested in. But the stuff from trade is stuff I'm interested in. It makes a difference. I, I'm amazed that it makes a difference. And for you, our listeners right now, Trade Coffee is offering a total of twenty dollars off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash MGG. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash MGG and start your journey to your perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com slash MGG for $20 off your first three bags and our thanks to Trade for sponsoring this episode. You ever feel like your mind doesn't have an off switch or that tension is constantly traveling through your body? Or do you feel tired no matter how much you sleep? Those are just a few of the many ways that stress, anxiety, and sleeplessness can harm your mind and your body. This year, why not make some small changes to your daily routine that can have big influence on your mental health and well-being? And to do that, start your year with our sponsor, Headspace. We all say fine when we don't mean it. Fine isn't really an emotion, is it? Hair is fine. That's what Frank Zappa told me. How many times have you told yourself you're fine when you've really felt angry or sad or nervous? Headspace is scientifically proven to help you manage your feelings and your mental health. In fact, a recent study just proved that in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. I've tried Headspace. I've used Headspace. I am a Headspace user. I was a Headspace user before they came on board as a sponsor. It really helps keep me focused and help got, get me through. I mean, we had a crazy Q4, as you all know. Meditation really helped get me through it. So whether you want to relieve stress and anxiety, sleep better, or improve your focus, Headspace is your everyday dose of mindfulness for real life. However you're feeling, try Headspace at headspace.com slash MGG and get one month free of their entire mindfulness library. This is the best Headspace offer available. So go to headspace.com slash MGG today. That's headspace.com slash MGG. And our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Hey, uh, while we were telling you all about the sponsors, my Synology was busy in the background and my um, Synology.me certificate updated, renewed. Just fine. So do you know, was yours just a temporary problem? Like, has yours been able to renew since no. that problem? Really? No. Okay. So I think I have uh, something for you to check. 
Synology, well, Let's Encrypt needs to be able to connect to the web server on the device that it is that is being used to renew so that it can confirm that everything is like copacetic and, and you know, mm. that the certificate works. So that either means it's going to try on both port 80 and port 443 uh, with 80 is your normal uh, uh, web port HTTP port port 443 is your secure HTTPS port by default. So it's going to try both of those. And what this is telling me is maybe your disk station is not accessible via port 80 or 443. So it could be, uh, does this, does this ring a bell? Right. Cause it could be something you set well, on your that's router. What the error says the error is like, we can't verify your, um, you know, we can't resolve your, um, domain to an IP address. Well, is it saying it can't resolve it to an IP address or is it saying it can't yes. connect to it? Um, both. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I would try it again because a, a DNS issue would be what would be happening for, you know, for the not being able to resolve to an IP, but I, like mine just resolved and it mine's also a Synology dot me. So it would be coming through the same DNS channels. But also if that fails again, I would try like from an outside address connecting to, you know, your name dot Synology dot me uh, port 80 and then port 443 and see if it connects because and I can do it from here for you if you want, because it's tough sometimes to test like from somewhere else when you're not somewhere else. But um, try try that or or tell me what yours isn't after the show and I'll I'll happily test it for you because that that is the most common issue I've seen is that for whatever reason, the web server isn't available. And sometimes it's that your ISP has decided we don't want to let our users run web servers like, you know, that's a security uh, hole. Now, I mean, that's a sort of random thing for your ISP to just have done recently. But, you know, ISPs do random things all the time. But it could just be like maybe there's a setting on your router that's not forwarding or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, we shall test it. Send me your thing in uh, in in like our Slack channel or whatever, and um, I'll I'll happily test it for you and let you know if it's if it's accessible and answering from the outside world. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that happened was I had sent an email to myself, my Apple ID plus testing at Mac dot com. And sure enough, it made it. So plus addressing is not just for iCloud custom domains. Plus addressing is for anything you have hosted at Mac.com and probably most other mail servers worth their snuff these days, as we discussed. So uh, so take advantage of that, would you? It's a good thing. I like it. It just it, it's very nice on the fly. You know, like you're you're at some like we went the other day to race cars or whatever, like this indoor racetrack. My wife T-boned me. It was terrible. I mean, my car spun mm -hmm. out and that's why she hit me. But, you know, it's fine. Uh I told her I forgave her. <laughs> she was mad at me. Um, the because uh, it wasn't her fault at all. But um, you know, you, you had to sign up on like a little machine that you know, computer terminal, whatever that they had, and you'd sign up for the thing and sign the waivers that say if your wife T bones you, you can't sue them and probably shouldn't sue her either, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, they ask you for your email, 
And so you could put in, you know, I could put in like, you know, Dave plus racetrack T-bone at mydomain.com. And, you know, and then I know if they sell off my address, well, I know who sold it off. But I can also then just route that to, you know, to trash with a mail filter. And so that's a handy thing. And those kinds of mail filters, if you are an iCloud uh, user for your mail or really most mail clients now or most uh, sorry, most mail hosts now allow you to log in via the Web. Gmail certainly lets you do this and set rules on the server as opposed to rules on your Mac. And the nice part about rules that don't exist on your Mac is that they apply whether or not your Mac is connected, which is really nice for um, on a world that we have today where you're checking mail on your iPhone and all that. So using those, those rules that happen on the, you know, the web interfaces of your mail server can be super handy. I, I take advantage. I have very few inbound rules on my Mac anymore. They, most of them are all on the web interface of my mail server. I I've been using fast mail, so that's where, still where I do it, but it doesn't matter. You can do it on iCloud in the preferences section. You can do it on Gmail or Google for domains in the settings section. So, yes. Uh, nice. All right. What else do we have, John? Anything more on that before it's time to move on? Moving on. Moving on. Moving on up. I've got some cool stuff found because CES was this week and I didn't get to go. Um, but I did get to check out some things. And the first thing is one of my favorite things. It is the JBL Pulse version five now. So the Pulse came out a number of years ago. I was immediately enamored with it. It is a pill shaped speaker. So, you know, kind of the size and shape of a large water bottle, if you will. And the Pulse, it was built to bring the vibe of a lava lamp to a Bluetooth speaker. And it's gone through many iterations over the years. And for me, the sound on it had in prior in, in a few of the middle generations had been sacrificed to make the look of it really better. Like at first it had this like cage around it. Cause the speaker was like meshed in with the, the, you know, the screen or the LEDs or whatever it is. And then they just made it LEDs and the speaker was only on the top and the bottom. And that's still the vibe now. But they've added a tweeter to this thing so that it actually I mean, I haven't heard it yet because I wasn't at Vegas, so I don't have one in my hands yet. It's due out, I believe, you know, by summer ish. And uh, and, but I'm I'm stoked that they they've been addressing the sound portion of this. The new one, Pulse 5, also has downward facing lights so that it illuminates the surface that it sits on, as well as just having this and you, and you get all kinds of like color patterns and, you know, cool effects and things like that. And of course you can control it all with your phone and, and really tweak it out. So yeah, it's good. Moving on up to the East side. I like it. <laughs> uh, thoughts on that, John, before we move on to the next one. No, I, yeah, I've, I've seen, I liked light show. Yeah. I, you've seen mine. I, it is, Often the Bluetooth speaker that I will choose to travel with, especially if I know that I'm going to be holed up in a hotel room, I have, you know, I become a, I'm spoiled. Let's just put it that way. But when I travel, I much prefer to stay in Airbnbs than hotels because it's just, you're in someone's home. You're in a home. 
And and you have like a living room and a kitchen as opposed to just like, here's your room that, you know, feels like a cell sometimes. Uh, so when I need to be in a hotel room, I like to light it better than most hotel rooms are lit. And bringing this pulse speaker is an excellent way to do that because I can like, you know, maybe turn on one of the bedside lamps and then turn on this. And it's just a nice little vibe to have going in the in the room. And so that's probably where you've seen the the pulse at work, John, is, yeah, when I bring them, bring them when I travel. And they, they, they do sound good. I mean, it the sound has always been fine. Hair is fine. Uh, but um, it's, you know, they, like I like that they're working on it because it was a little muffled in the last one. If I'm not being if I'm being honest. So, yeah. Speaking of sound, there's a company that I'd always wanted to check out, John. And they used to be called Aftershocks, S-H-O-K-Z. They have changed their name now. They are just Shocks, S-H-O-K-Z dot com. And they um, they have what they call bone conduction uh, headphones where they don't go into your ears. They don't even go on your ears. They just push against your head and move the sound into you that way. And they've come out with a new one. Uh, this week called the Open Run Pro, which are sport headphones. And to me now, this becomes a really interesting thing. They come in a tidy little case. You can hear the the uh, zipper of the case shaking around if you're just on the audio stream. But it's a it's a it's a flat little uh, case, and the shape of the case, of course, is uh, built to hold these these earphones uh, and or headphones. I don't even know what they should be called. They call them headphones. But it's got this um, around the back of the head kind of thing, and they fit right over the ears. In fact, I can have these things on with my uh, ear monitors that I use while we podcast. And the nice part is uh, that I can hear everything around me and the sound out of these things when I'm wearing them. So I'm really stoked to test these out on my bike once the weather is not, you know, blizzarding outside. Because I like I've I've always shied. You've heard me talk about this on the show. We've had this conversation, John, where like I, I like I know that the transparency mode and this, that and the other thing. But I don't know. I've never been comfortable putting something in my ear and then getting out on a bike and, and riding. I know lots of people do it, but this I'm comfortable trying out. And so I'm stoked to be able to uh, check it out. They're like 180 bucks and uh, super comfortable. In fact, I'm I still have them on here. I got to probably take them off. But um yeah, lightweight. They they have like uh, ten hours of of battery life. They do have a microphone, so you can use them for calls too. I've not tested the calls, but the sound quality is fine. It's um it's interesting. People around you will hear a little bit of it, but it really sounds like the sound is coming from away from you because it's not being shoved into your ear. It's it's an interesting. Mm -hmm. It's a different experience. I'm I'm pretty stoked about these. So wanted to share. Cool stuff. Found. Thoughts about that before we uh, before we move on? Uh -oh. Um, oh. did you say it's bone induction? Is what it's doing? Yeah, I think that's what they say. It's yeah, bone conduction. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's they, vibrating against your bones. Yeah this this little part on the end of each you know we'll call it earpiece pushes mm -hmm. against you know your your temple. And mm -hmm. or really, it's, I guess, further back than your temple. But uh, but, yeah, it's just a little thing. And and uh, for those of you that can't see, it goes they've got a little piece that goes around the back of your head and then a loop that goes over the top of your ear just to hold things in place. So they mm -hmm. I, like I don't think they'll move at all. Uh, and uh, 
And then and then that's that. They do have a little speaker on them, too. Like I said, people around you can hear what's coming out of them a little bit, but it's not very much. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Captain Mark 57 in the chat room at live.macgeekhub.com says, uh, says they have them and and I assume they like them. So it's good. Yeah, it's super comfortable. So I'm looking forward to it. It's fun. You know, I like this stuff. The uh, the Posio folks, P-O-Z-I-O, were at this Pepcom. We also got to see them at a... Uh, and when we say we got to see them at this Pepcom, they were the, the folks at Pepcom did a, a sort of a well, not sort of a live broadcast from Pepcom where they talked to different vendors and, and showed off some products. And uh, we also got to see them at a previous remote Pepcom. I don't like to use the term virtual because like there was actually. Things oh, like, I remember. I remember this one. Yeah. So their whole idea is that we have all these microphones around us listening all the time. Right. And the first product that I saw from them uh, a couple of months ago was one that protects your smart speaker from hearing you all the time. They call it the Posio Shield. And you put your, you know, Echo Dot or your Google, whatever, you know, Google Assistant speaker inside this thing. And it essentially puts a soundproof, you know, uh, bubble over it, if you will. And then it. This device, the Posio Shield, has its own watchword. So you say its word, and then for 30 seconds or whatever, it turns off its blockers. And then you can say, you know, hey, hey, lady, uh, you know, turn on my lights. But the nice part is the only thing that's listening all the time is the Posio Shield. And the Posio Shield is not connected to the Internet. It's not streaming that anywhere. It it doesn't have anything to record inside it. It is just a device that listens for its watchword to turn itself off temporarily. Then it turns itself back on. So it's this very cool. You, you got to say two things. You got to say, like, I think for the demo I saw, they said Karen. And then like the light changed on the thing. And then they said a lady and then the a lady answered. But if they it's like Simon says, right, if you don't say the, the first if you didn't say Karen first, then you don't get the you can't say the, the a lady thing. So. Um, uh, very cool. And then at Pepcom this week, they last week, they were showing one for your phone that also has a Qi charger in it. So you pop your phone in the Qi charger and now your phone is no longer listening to you or it is listening, but it can't hear because it's inside this bubble, if you will. So it's a pretty cool little thing. I don't know. I, you know, cool stuff. Found. I, I was joking with the guy. It's like a cone of silence for your smart speaker or phone. You crystallized my thoughts. That's it. That's, that's exactly it. Yeah, right. That's right, man. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Right. It is. It's the, the Maxwell Smart Cone of Silence. It's exactly right. I like it. Uh, all right. Moving on. Lawyer Jeff has a cool stuff found for us. He says, uh, I wanted to let you know about a service I've been using for over a year now. I wanted to be able to access my home Mac remotely from work, but my home connection wasn't stable or fast enough. So I decided to look for a professional solution. I found it at MacMiniVault.com. They are, among other things, a Mac Mini and Mac Pro co-location data center. In that regard, they will host your Mac Mini that you ship to them uh, with a core plan for 30 bucks a month which includes 500 gigs of data transfer, or they have an enterprise plan, which includes unlimited data transfer and the use 
of an emergency loaner Mac mini if needed uh, and additional monitoring software. He says, I tried both plans as an experiment and the core plan is more than sufficient for the average user. More interesting, though, is their rent to own program, he says, which he decided to take advantage of. Instead of sending my own computer, I rented a 2020 3.2 gigahertz, eight core M1 Mac mini with 16 gigs of RAM and a one terabyte SSD for 108.25 a month. What that means is that they essentially sold me a new Mac mini at cost for 12 equal monthly payments with no interest. After making those 12 payments, I now own that Mac mini and I can have them ship it to me at any time. They have uh, other configurations of the M1 as well as the older Intel-based Mac Minis, etc. I plan to leave my Mac Mini there, uh, though, at least until the new ones are released, because they have a great internet connection speed, and he did some testing. Now, there's, well, we'll get into some of the testing, but this is a pretty cool service. Uh, and, and a cool, I mean, they're, they're certainly not the, the only colocation service uh, on the planet. Colocation, you know, goes back decades, right? But... This idea of using it as not a server for the world to see, but a server for you to use. And even just for the general user that just wants to be able to access their own data from somewhere else. If you don't have a great Internet connection for 30 bucks a month, now you have this thing. That's I mean, I like the I like the the, the fact that the service exists. I love their rent to own thing with you know essentially no interest. But I really like Jeff's approach to this, like how he thought to use this, because I think that's the most creative thing here. And I, I love it. It's, it's really interesting. I don't know. I never I never thought about it that way. I've always been blessed with a relatively fast Internet connection, too, uh, at, at the very least. So I've never needed that. And I also don't leave my house for work. So lots of reasons that I I, I don't need this, but. I, like totally makes sense to me. I don't know. Any thoughts as, as we were talking through this, John? Um, well, I did this once. I actually, um, <clears throat> a group that I worked for, we actually had a uh, rack mount machines mm. in our own computer room. Because we were, we we're a big company or we're a big company. They gotten kind of small lately. That, so that's that's it. Like, how did yeah, you connect to it. it? Um, from my desk. <laughs> okay, so like your desk at home, your desk at the the office. Like, what did you use at it the for? Office. Okay, yeah, all right. And what? And the use case was. I mean, what 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 was it doing? That I mean, I'm just trying to like take your use case as a case study and and show people like how one might want to take advantage of this so what could those computers do that the computer you were connecting from couldn't or did they have data um, on them that yours didn't well, they were, yeah they would they were servers we used them for a development and rapid prototyping and stuff like got that. it okay oh that makes sense all right so they they were beefier they could compile faster or at least offload your compiling while you did other oh, yeah. things oh okay yeah and we had different um um we had HPUX machines. Yep. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we had some AIX machines, um, some Dells and some Suns. Cool. To do different stuff. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And you were able to connect to them just from your desk at work or could you connect from home mm -hmm. too if you like VPN did? Yeah, we, we had a VPN also. Yeah. Was it Juniper? I think it was Juniper. Okay. That's cool. Cisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Cisco's been in that game for a long time. Yep. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And they were cool about um, one having to work from uh, from home, which of course almost everybody's doing now. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. You're totally right about that. Yeah. 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 The only thing I didn't enjoy is we did an experiment with an open office. Mm-hmm. Be glad that you don't have to do that. A lot of people do that now. That's that's like a very common thing. An open office. The problem is I'm easily distracted. Mm-hmm both visually and audio. Yep. And you would have some people who basically wouldn't shut up. <laughs> Got it. Got it. It's like, I don't want to hear you. <laughs> yeah. 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 For, for open, I've, I've never, well, I actually have, we, we managed an open office sort of at computer nerds for a while. And, but it was different because most of our work was done out in the field uh, so it was, it wasn't quite the same, but, but we had some people who worked, you know, full time there and, and you have to, that's one of those definitely like learning how to live with yourself kind of things. You need to learn what you need to do to keep from being distracted. And most people wound up wearing headphones at their desk, mm. um, uh, and, and, you know, either listening to music or, or sometimes listening to nothing, but just having the headphones, you know, sort of blocking out. Uh, I even find when I'm alone in my office, you know, and I'm people who listen to this show know I'm fairly easily distracted as well. Uh, but I find that if I need to do focused work, I turn on music and immediately like I am 10 times more capable of focusing than I am if I don't like I'm I stop like dicking around and checking my email and like, you know, looking at Slack or looking at Twitter, or Facebook or whatever. If I put up once I put on music and start a task, I just like dive in. I've been known to miss meetings because of that. Uh, mm. But music is, you know, again, it's just learning how to live with yourself. Everybody has their own different ways of doing it. But but experimenting with those types of things, especially if you're in an open office. But, you know, I'm 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 in an open office of one. <laughs> so. Mm um uh, yeah yeah finding those things that let you do that can can be super helpful yeah 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 i can i can see where the, the challenge at, at first to adapt to one would be a little bit yeah yeah the zone brian monroe in the chat room says absolutely all right um so the an interesting thing happened Lawyer Jeff was saying, I love using this because their connection, one of the things I love is their connection's fast. And it is fast. Like, I, I don't want to take that away from them. But what he said to me was, um, I uh, I tested with speedtest.net and it reported a zero. And I hope you, it's okay that I share this part of this, Jeff, because it, it really is an important thing for folks to understand. He says, uh, speedtest.net re regularly reports zero millisecond pings. 940 megabit per second download speeds and 920 upload speeds. And when I saw that, I thought, boy, that sure reminds me of the tests that I do locally on my network here, John. And so it, you know, the, the first of all, essentially what he's seeing is, you know, just ethernet speeds, right? That nine, 920, 940, that range is right about where ethernet tops out when you're doing speed tests, uh, you know, for gigabit ethernet rather. And then combining that with zero millisecond pings tells me, I wonder if speedtest.net partners with this Mac mini vault company to host a speedtest.net endpoint on their network. 
And then that might skew things if you were testing effectively on your LAN instead of the WAN. So speedtest.net has a little thing in the kind of the bottom right of where the results come up where you can change the testing server. And so we had Jeff change the testing server and he's like, oh, wow, super different. It came in at like, you know, eight milliseconds or something. And it was still 900 something down, but maybe only 300 up to that test server. And so it's, you know, every test server is different. I can't, I'm on a gigabit connection here. Most test servers that I use, I do not get gigabit speeds, especially not my upstream test. I have to, I've learned which ones will like, are not the weak link in the chain kind of thing. So it's entirely possible that as Jeff goes through and finds different test servers to use that he might find one that's not a zero millisecond ping. So AKA not local, but also does see higher than, you know, 300 megabits up or whatever it works out to be, but certainly 300 megabits up for what he's doing is way more than fast enough. So, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Zero, because technically that's impossible. Well, it's not, it has to take some, it has has to to take take some time. (laughs) Yeah. But if it's literally on the, on the computer, you know, next to you Mm. on the switch, it's going to be as close to zero. Like it's going to be, you know, zero point something and round down and it's zero. Right. So, Mm. but yeah, you're right. Like zero is impossible, but I think like from up here, if I ping my disc station, uh, which is downstairs, I get, why isn't this working? Um, what? Okay. So I have a DNS problem on my network. So my disk station, I'm pinging it and it comes in at 0.276 milliseconds. And that's going through at least two switches. Cause I have a switch behind me here in the office. It's a TP link switch. Don't ask me why I have it here. It's just something to test. It has literally two things plugged into it. And then, and then there's one down in the, in the office. So, but it's it's all, you know, if you were to round this, it would round down to zero because it's all below 0.5. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm. Uh, huh. I wonder. Um, yeah, I'm pinging my uh, disk station, which is right next to me, and I'm getting point one nine one milliseconds. Yeah. So about the same. But yeah. Yeah. So that would round down to zero if you if you weren't showing decimal places. So, yeah. Which is what it should be. I mean, it's right there. You know, it seems like for me, I'm, I'm on two switches. So I'm, you know, getting point two and change, which is fine. No problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Can I do that? Probably. Okay. Fun stuff. Keeps it interesting. Uh, speed test logistics. I like it. Uh, more cool stuff found. Let's... Um, yeah, we will do two more of these and then we'll do two more next week. Uh, the pluggable folks were showing off uh, or announced. I don't think this was at Pepcom, but uh, it might have been. Uh, I didn't see it there. I just saw it because I've been talking with them. They have their own uh, USB-C. They call it their triple 4K HDMI and DisplayPort display horizontal docking station. And so what this is, is a... Um, It's built to give you lots of options to collect, connect displays to your Mac where it gets really interesting is that it has a display link built into it so that connecting to your M1 Macs, it allows you to get another monitor that you couldn't otherwise have. So M1 Macs are limited to two displays, the laptops, one internal, one external, the Mac minis, one HDMI, 
one uh, USB-C slash display port. The uh, this pluggable USB-C hub, ha- hub has display link in it, which gives you another one essentially using USB to display link as the separate video card, if you will. Uh, so I thought that that was pretty cool. And I, I like seeing people solve that problem in an easy way for users. So I'm going to check this out because I have another monitor. I think I want to set up downstairs. I need to be surrounded. That's another way, right? If you're at your, if you're visually distracted, uh, set up a, you know, a, either a curved monitor, right? In your open office plan or, you know, two or three monitors to just keep your, your field of view uh, consumed by your stuff and not somebody else's antics. <sighs> nice. Yeah. And it charges. What's that? And it charges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm burying lots of features here just to to highlight the one that jumped out at me. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got it's got four um four USB ports on it. Um yeah, it's got lots. So we'll put a link in the show notes for it. And then because we're recording this on the day that Neil Peart passed away and releasing it on the day that we all found out that Neil Peart had passed away two years ago. Uh, I wanted to share what wasn't at CES, but should have been. And I'm not just talking about you and me, John, but we are part of this is that the Stern pinball folks announced rush themed pinball machines. There's three of them. There's like, uh, you know, bronze, silver, gold. They run from like seven grand up to like 11 grand. And, uh, they're really cool. They have, they worked with rush. They had uh, Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson record some, um, you know, part of the uh, audio for it, uh, spoken audio. And then also they have, you know, I think there's like 12 different rush songs to get played during the game, but they, they like the games look really cool. There's a video on the site. I'll link to it so that you can see it. If you're a rush fan or just a music fan in general, they did a, or a pinball fan. They did a great job. These folks know their market. Like they've got a Beatles themed one. They've got the Led Zeppelin themed ones. They've got, they've got them in all different kinds of themes because they know, you know, people are going to, as they, people want to take the things from their youth and uh, put them in their offices or their, uh, you know, their homes. And so they know, they know who their market is. They've got a stranger things one, a Jurassic park one, Batman, star Wars, guardians of the galaxy. Yeah, it's oh, good. Stranger Things. Yeah, man. Yeah, when when's that coming back? <laughs> I don't know. So hopefully soon, right? Hopefully soon. Uh, all right. Before we we got uh, time for a couple of questions, I I wanted to say it's not really new or cool stuff found, but I just wanted to throw it into the mix that I now we added an Apple TV 4K to the house here, and uh, so and it's it it definitely makes a difference with the the faster CPU in there for some apps that we run like that channels app it performs a whole lot differently on the 4K than it does on the uh, you know on the prior six year old one or whatever it was so I just wanted to throw that out there it's not uh, you know we all know it exists and it's uh, but it it really did make a difference upgrading from the the you know the the whatever it was. The, th- the third, the fourth gen to the 4K. So, yeah, highly recommend. The, the only thing I don't like, yes, sir. So one, I it's cool that you can put apps on it. Um, yeah, well, that's been the, the case thing, for several years, right? Yeah, yeah, several generations, my, I should say. Yeah, yeah, but this is my first one. Do you have a 4K? Is that the one you have? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. got it, got it, got it. Yeah. So you have the old 4K. I have the new 4K. I think with the silver remote. Mm, right yes yeah okay so different remote yeah and different the processor only, in there too i think the only thing i don't like is that the netflix app 
on the Apple TV will play animated um, uh, animated version of what you ever hover over in the background, and that just bugs me. I'm like, I think you can turn that off. I think yeah, there's a I, setting. I'll, I'll dig around somewhere. Yeah, because I, I remember tweaking that on on ours a while back, I, and I I'm not sure if it's a setting. I can't remember because a lot of apps do that, and I went through all of them, and I can't remember if that's a setting in the app or on Netflix.com where you tell it like don't do these things. Like mm-hmm. like for like Plex, for example. It, you know, it will show you movie trailers if you want. Like when you go play a movie, it'll play trailers from other movies you have in your library. Some people are annoyed by that, like my children. So I turned it on to annoy them. Uh, And then I had to turn it off. But like, I think that was done on the server side. I can't remember. So, yeah, but check, check the, check the app first because it's easy. And then if not, go like log into Netflix.com and see if you can tweak it. So, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Um. We'll answer a couple questions. We got a little bit of time, I think, Mr. Braun. Matthew has. I'm curious as to everybody's thoughts on on Matthews here. This is an interesting one. Matthew says, uh, "My AirPod Pros connect to my M1 MacBook Pro while they are in the charging case. Uh, Also, uh, he says his MacBook Pro's Bluetooth uh, was turned off." And something triggered it to turn it back on. He said, this happens regularly. So I wanted to, he says, I even have auto pairing turned off. Uh, I wanted to talk about the AirPods and it doesn't matter if AirPods pro or Mac or anything, but if your AirPods are connecting while they're in the case, that would tell me as someone not touching them uh, to look for two things. The first I'd look for is, is the case closing fully? Is there something in the way, something on the hinge, something? Do you have a? Do you have like another case around the case that maybe is keeping it, you know, ajar, to, to borrow a term, right? And and instead of closed, and so something because it they won't try to connect if they think they're in the case, and so clearly something is causing your AirPods to wake up, and a that's bad because they start to connect, but b it's also bad if you know for your battery, so. Check to make sure that that case is actually closing. And one way that, I mean, you can look at it physically and that's, I would visually inspect it for sure. But then also if you take your AirPods and this is true of any version of them, wake up your phone and take your AirPods case closed and hover it near your phone and then open the case. It should just magically show a little thing uh, sliding up from the bottom of the screen that gives you uh, the status of your AirPods battery wise, the case's battery, the individual AirPods battery, and and then whether the case is open or closed is indicated on that screen. So see if you can, like that would confirm that it thinks it's closed. So that would be one thing. And we'll also tell you if the AirPods think they are charging inside there. Again, a visual inspection, the charging port or charging connector for the AirPods is way deep down in the bottom of the case. And it's you can see there's a just a little metal connector there and then a little ring around the the stem of your AirPods that's down in the bottom of the case. Visually inspect all of that. You might have like a piece of tissue in there. In fact, a little piece of anything would cause both of these problems. A, it would keep it from charging because the connector wouldn't connect. And B, it might be enough to like push the lid open and keep the lid from closing. So check the bottom of those wells and see uh, what you've got in there. So that would that would be my that would be what I would do. 
And that's how kind of we answer questions is what would we do if we were there? So that would be step one. I don't know. Any, any thoughts about that, John? Um, no, I got the, uh, Plantronics and the dance that they do is, is pretty good. So when they're in the, I've never had them connect when they're in the case, yep. um, charging or not. Uh, and their protocol is you put one in one of your ears and it says power on battery high or battery low. Sure. And then you put the other one in your other ear and then it says, uh, computer connected or phone connected. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, you, you know, with, uh, with other ones, I've got some, I mean, I've got all kinds of different ones, but I know I have a pair of sound cores on my desk, the Liberty elite pros or whatever they are. And the case is awesome. Cause it, it looks like an AirPods case, but it, instead of flipping the top open, like the side of it slides open and it is the perfect little fidget toy at my desk. The problem is when I slide the case open, it, uh, it tries to connect like it wakes up the the earbuds and tries to get them to connect to my phone. So I have to be really careful not to use it as a fidget toy when I'm on the phone <laughs> because they will take over my Bluetooth connection <laughs> because they think, oh, new device, better connect. You know, so I have to be really careful not to do that, even though it's really, really tempting. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So try that, Matthew. Um, as far as the Bluetooth thing, turning it on, <sighs> that sounds like. Man, like there's a million things. Bluetooth is so instrumental to making lots of Apple's technology work. Things like, you know, coherence mode and all that other stuff. So I wonder if there's something turning it on when you, you know, somehow. I mean, you could have a shortcut running, but you'd probably know about that since that would be a relatively new thing on your Mac. And you could have some automation running with something else. But I don't know. Like I, I would, I would, I guess the question is why is Bluetooth off on your Mac? Your Mac probably wants it on pretty badly to do all the things. So I don't know. Yeah. If you have thoughts, send it in feedback at MacGeekab.com. We all like to help each other here. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. That's correct. Uh, let's see. Listener Jason might be a good one to wrap with here. Jason, He's having an issue with his SSD, John. Jason writes in and says, I have a late 2014 27-inch iMac with 32 gigs of RAM uh, that clearly overheard me talking about replacing it with a new M1 Max this coming year and decided to slow down to a crawl in the past few weeks. Uh, about one year ago, my one terabyte SSD was getting full, so I moved my boot disk over to a Samsung T5 portable two terabyte SSD which I have hooked up via a USB three cable. Okay, great. At the time of installation, I noted the internal drive had read write speeds of about 900 megabytes per second compared to the about 500 on the Samsung drive. But that was perfectly fast for my purposes. Totally makes sense. Since I ran the black magic disc speed test and found uh, recently and found that my write speed had slowed down to five to 12 megabytes per second with read speeds of only 150 I moved the drive from a USB hub to a USB port directly on the Mac with no change. I tried recovery mode, disk first aid, found no errors. I ran, found, I ran Onyx and flushed all the caches that I could find. And the speed increased temporarily to 240 writes, 380 reads. Okay, we're getting somewhere. Since I installed the 11.62 update, which took about 12 hours with the slow drive, but the speeds afterwards were nearly as awful as before. 
I tried running Blackmagic uh, from my MacBook Pro and got similar numbers, so I don't think this is an OS issue. Okay, smart. Try Trying the drive with different Macs, that's really, that's smart. Booting from a different drive. So he's like, I don't know what to do. Should I try wiping the drive and starting again? Uh, what What do you think's going on? Uh, I think free space is the issue. And Jason started to to head down this path, too. He said he'd been pruning unneeded files and got back about 60 gigs of free space and read write speeds bumped back up to that three to 400 mm. megabyte per second range. Uh, yeah. And, and so it like, so SSDs are interesting beasts when it comes to this stuff. When you write to an SSD, it cannot write to a, a consumed, a used spell, a, a cell. I don't want to say consumed a, a, a cell that has data in it. So the first thing that needs to happen is the cell needs to be erased. And then uh, I think there has to be a wait cycle and then a, a write cycle. So you, you, you write to it to erase it, you wait, and then you write to it to put your new data in. And obviously that's way slower than just writing to put your data in. So SSDs have uh, implemented some type, each SSD does it a little differently, some type of what's called garbage collection, where when it knows that a cell is marked to be deleted, it goes and does that write and wait cycle when the drive is idle. The problem is when it doesn't know that a cell is marked to be deleted uh, in time. And this is where that whole trim TRIM uh uh, technology came from it lets the operating system tell the SSD when things are ready to go so that the SSD can do its garbage collection and all that stuff. And it's sound, but, but even with that, if the drive is close to full, there's no garbage collection to be done in the background because there's no space that is freed up to be cleaned. And so it sounds like you were hitting against that wall and by clearing out some space, the drive was then able to do some of its garbage collection, and now you're in good shape. So you got to keep some amount of space free. He said it was a two terabyte drive. He, when he got it back to 60 gigs free, his read write speeds bumped back up to, you know, somewhere near expected performance levels. I think that's probably a good number, you know, regardless of the, the capacity of the drive. I think having, you know, plenty of free space and plenty would be tens of gigabytes at least so that when you're putting stuff out there, you know, assuming that some isn't going to be cleaned up, right. It's, it's going to, you know what I'm saying, John, like there's always going to be some amount of this that's not, that's free, but, but hasn't yet been cleaned. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I I think that's the, that's the, that's going to be the key there. So, what do you think? You um, you looked like you were doing all sorts of research while I was talking, so I'm I'm curious what you came up with. Well, I just pasted something in here. Um, trim may be off. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So here's the command. I don't know why it's colored. How do I? Un- don't worry about the color, John. Nobody will see the color. Pretend <laughs> the color is not there. <laughs> John mentioned he was visually distracted. He's proving it to us. Thank you. So, yeah. what's the command? Pseudo. Trim force enable. Got it. Got it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, cool. And I think if uh where is it? System info hardware. 
Mm. There's somewhere you can see if trim's enabled or not. I don't think disk utility shows you that. No, disk utility doesn't. But if you go into system, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, And I'm looking for. Yeah, no, I don't see it. I don't see it in NVM Express on this machine. So it may not be there anymore. Storage. Maybe it's in storage. Uh, no, no, no. I don't see it there anymore. It used to be in, I think it used to be in system information, hardware storage, but I'm not seeing it there. So, but yeah, pseudo trim force enable, that would be one way to do it for sure. For sure. Cool. 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 Um, yeah, well, here we are. I, that's, um, I think that's where we, uh, where we bring the band back in from the snowstorm. They got cold, but you know, they've been with us for 17 years and, and they know how this goes. They, they know to bundle up when, uh, when we dive into a show. So, but you know, we do like to let them back in sometimes. Thanks for playing guys. It's good. Any more thoughts on any of this, John, anything to share with people as we are uh, ending nine Oh nine. That means the next episode is the one after nine Oh nine. So that's important. Thoughts on this, John? Anything? Hmm. Eh. No, you're right. It's not disability. Well, right. Yeah. It used to be. Oh, it used to be somewhere. It used. To, I think it was system information was where it used to be. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, folks. As always, please, uh, please go sign up for that uh, that newsletter. Go to macgeekup.com. Sign up there. That's our uh, that's our request of you this week. Poor favor. We would love for you to be on that list so that you get all the stuff that, uh, you know, just the, it's, it's, it's really the show notes. I, 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 I suppose I should say we reserve the right to send you something else of value. Like, really, we're not going to spam you with, like, we're not going to sell your name or anything, certainly not do anything like that. But, you know, as we, like I said, we're rolling out this new website. There's things coming. We might send you a note about the merch so that you know that you have, like, it's there and all that stuff. But um, but it'll always be something about the show, and primarily it's just to get you the show notes in your email box so that you have all the links of all the things that we talked about or the command that John just mentioned and all that stuff. It's just going to be right there. You don't have to try and remember. You don't even have to think about it because it's just delivered right to your inbox. So Go to MacGeekCab.com. Please sign up for that. The mailing list will transfer over to the new domain with us. So uh, that's for sure because it's already elsewhere. It's, we hosted at MailChimp, so yeah, it's good. All right. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for spending our snowstorm with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for checking out our sponsors, of course, uh, drinktrade.com slash MGG. Gets you 20 bucks off those uh, first uh, three bags. And then uh, headspace.com slash MGG, where you can get a month for free. It's a good deal. It's a really good deal, especially this month. Treat yourself and get it for free. Have a good one, folks. What do we say, John? I always forget what we say at the end of the show. Mm, I forgot, too. Oh, I know. Don't get caught. That's it. Made up.